Behind the men and women who serve our country are fearless leaders who live in the shadows. They stay up late nights praying, worrying, and waiting for phone calls, filling out mountains of paperwork, and keeping research folders on experimental services. But more importantly, they patiently love our heroes back together again. Welcome to your community. No matter what stage you're at, we're here to provide expert resources, faithful support, and real-life insight into how you can move from managing to living your best life. Your hosts, Libby Bates and Erin McCauley, found one another in opposite sides of the country in different stages, but with a common struggle. Together, with outside guests and experts, we'll open the resources and support you need. Let's get to the episode. Welcome back, listeners. Today, we're joined by U.S. Air Force veteran Steve Elmore. He's an American filmmaker, photojournalist, and veterans activist. Welcome to Behind the Service, Steve. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about ganja and reefer madness and let what the devil's lettuce today. Is that the conversation we're having? All of that. In it, fact, I just posted to Instagram today about if you smoke a doobie, you're smoking with the devil, the old ad said. <laughs> <laughs> so I've said, yes. I, I responded, <laughs> lights up. Man, I'm really excited about today and I'm excited about this series. I think a lot of our listeners know how we feel about it, but we're going to go over some statistics. We live in a legal state, so my husband's a cardholder and it's been a really fun process to watch him through the VA system, watch them react to the whole thing. But we actually got to be a part of the legalization process here. We had news crews out to our house and interviewed him and talked about how it will benefit him. So It's been quite the thing to be a part of, and we've met some of the most awesome people ever in that industry. Veteran participation in state marijuana programs does not affect eligibility for VA care and services, which I was excited to hear after they had changed that. VA providers can and do discuss marijuana use with veterans as a part of comprehensive care planning and adjust treatment plans as necessary. Personally, I would say that they're kind but it's just glossed over. Veterans will not be denied VA benefits because of marijuana use. Veterans are encouraged to discuss marijuana with their VA providers. VA healthcare providers will record marijuana use in the veteran's VA medical record in order to have the information available in treatment planning. As with all clinical information, this is part of the confidential medical record and protected under patient privacy and confidentiality laws and regulations. They did take a copy of his card, which was funny. It's like, why do you need that? But they have it. VA clinicians may not recommend medical marijuana. Uh, They may only prescribe medications that have been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug FDA for medical use. At present, most products containing THC or CBD or other cannabinoids are not approved for purpose by the FDA. I think they're actually still scheduled one, right? Which is no medical value at all. VA clinicians may not complete paperwork forms required for veteran patients to participate in state-approved medical marijuana programs. I will say Oklahoma does waive the application fee for fully disabled veterans. So that actually is cool, which saved us like a hundred bucks. VA pharmacy Pharmacies may not fill prescriptions for medical marijuana, so keep dreaming. It's coming out of your pocket. VA will not pay for medical marijuana prescriptions from any source, and VA scientists may conduct research on medical marijuana 
benefits and risk and potential for abuse under regulatory approval. So it's fun statistics. God love you, Steve, for what you do. No doubt. Thank you. One of the good things on that whole subject is at least they're they're getting smart. I think there's enough medical professionals on the staff that know that you don't want to mix drugs and things. And I've been working with a couple of different veteran groups lately, one of them called the Veterans Action Council. And that's one of the things we tackled. And the fact that they're at least allowing us to discuss that we're using it for our treatment, because a lot of us are either not using our opioids anymore, or if we have other issues that we're treating, like mental issues and things, that's important, self-included, talking about mental health and depression and anxiety and things. And I actually came to the conclusion that there's a fine balance between the effects that I wanted to get off of and the need for it, but how it's balanced with the cannabis. So I'm not, I don't use the VA for my medicine. I'm retired. So I use TRICARE and I'm open with my doctor about it completely. And so I'm happy to see that coming from the VA. So that makes a big difference. It does make a big difference. And I think it makes a big difference now that they've started at least to stop the stigma associated with it. So you're not automatically given the drug dependent or addiction speech, which I thought was a bit much. And I know my husband's primary care doctor is a really nice guy and is, he really won't talk to him about it, but he also knows that we have a outside neurologist that's non-VA that is my husband's doctor that prescribes it. So he doesn't, we don't need him to talk to it because we have a neurologist that we see and pay for. Yeah. In fact, I only until recently have I been discussing my cannabis use because the purpose for the film was, hey, I'm in a legal state in Maryland, but I still work for the federal government. When I created the film, I was a couple of years ago, I was working at the Pentagon. I had a top secret clearance. And when I learned about the benefits of cannabis, it was like, wait a minute, I've been told that this is completely off limits and things. Anyway, fast forward, I, I wound up discussing it because I worked in the public affairs office and had the the film people who make the approvals and things. I ran it by them and said, is this, if I make this film, is it going to affect my job? And they're like, nope, as long as you don't criticize the military, the active military or work on duty, then you're fine. So that's been my mission ever since. And now that I'm out, I don't have a, I still work for the government, but I don't hold a clearance. <clears throat> so I'm still even at risk, but we just don't have the random tests. And so that's why it's funny because here it's, it, I even went to a urgent care recently because a sprained ankle. And it was like amazing because I was stationed at that same base years ago telling this active duty doctor, this lieutenant colonel, she's what medications are you taking for the pain? And I told her ibuprofen and, and fucking weed. And it was like, it was liberating. Yeah, I you know. know? Uh-huh. And that was a military doctor, not to talk about a VA doctor. I'm a civilian. I'm retired. And it's it's great. Yeah. You know, but I am always scared about my job. And so that's why I don't talk about where I work, but that I do because I still want to fight for this. Well, and that's part of the stigma around cannabis is so it is liberating when you can actually t- talk to your doctor about it and not feel like it's going to be held against you. Or in the corporate world as a professional, having a medical card and then having a license to practice, is there laws that protect professionals? Are we like our employment? rights and things like that is what I mean. 
And I think that goes state by state. And that's why we need to get it off the books because it's sort of like, it's like the COVID. Well, let's just leave it to the states to decide. No, we need a little bit of guidance. Yeah. At least take it off of the damn schedule so that right. they can openly work it out. And you don't have these people fearing that they're going to lose their job because that's being held against them exactly. because of the, st- you know, that stigma of, it's really comes down to knowledge and lack of education. And we'll get to this later on in the conversation. But, and I wanted to just talk about like your heart behind doing unprescribed. So it was to advocate for cannabis research and availability to our veterans. Yeah, exactly. Because like I said, I'm retired from the military. And during my service, I had a suicide attempt. And that's where I first learned about mental health and not being afraid of even asking for that help. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have seen the right people. But I was on this medicine for years and years. And after a while, it it takes the effects. And now I haven't, I don't have any combat injuries. So I'm not, I don't have all this list of other things, but there's other veterans out there taking handfuls of different drugs and they're treating it for each different symptom. And I'm thinking, fuck, man, how, if this could have prevented my suicide instead of the freaking alcohol that I was drinking for my depression, which is totally legal. Which is un- and, and it's legal in some other countries, in Canada for the military and in, in uh, Israel. So it causes worse problems anyway. They, yeah. I have police officers that we've asked tons, of, and this isn't news to anybody, but they'll tell you, we do not ever have to break up anything at a cannabis store, but you go to a bar and... Yes, there's problems mm-hmm. all the time. He was like, you don't see people using cannabis usually end up in handcuffs. It's oh. usually the Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> That's what gets them. Yep. And it, it, it's historical. It, it's been going on ever since. And uh, I think alcohol is the devil. I'll still enjoy a small drink, but it's oh. completely different. On active duty, a lot of us are just drowning our sorrows in, in, in the alcohol. And and like you said, it's making things worse. And then we're getting into fights and barrack breakups and everything else. Yeah. And it's glorified that it's also not glorified with procedure and policy, but at the same time, it's so woven into the fabric culturally Mm -hmm. that it's almost do it, but don't get caught is the, which is an absolutely asinine way to organize anything. Mm Yeah. That's just my opinion. But that goes goes years and years in the history ever since Prohibition. I don't know if our soldiers ever used cannabis, but I do know that George Washington grew it. He grew hemp on his land. And until the tax issues in the early you know, 20th century, it was used medicinally. It, it was at pharmacies and things. So it just became, and I show this in the film a little bit too, it, it just there's a lot of old heads in government and a lot of stick in the muds and things. And the problem we have today is the government controls cannabis because the pharmaceutical side of it, the money there and the law enforcement, the DEA uses it for their, their drug enforcement. So it's been rampant in the government that they've outlawed cannabis because it's so beneficial to them to make it evil versus realizing what the real benefits are. So you've answered my question in a a little bit, but what really particularly inspired you to become a veteran advocate? Is it your own personal experience, really? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And and it was literally for me, it actually started out more as an anti-suicide story than as a cannabis story. When I talked about the vets that are in the film, I got Josh and then I got Janine and her son. It, it tears me up that, that if we could have received the right treatment with something so natural versus giving us just more chemicals. And and so that's what motivated me to make the film was was the whole, holy crap. So it, like I said, it was a story of mental health, of suicide prevention, and of getting our guys off of these different drugs, which are leading a lot of them to suicide on top of it. So that was the big motivator behind it. So what has been some of the hardest parts that you face because of the stigma with cannabis and trying to fight for the rights of our service members? I would say it's more about the the personal stories about the other veterans who are in non-legal states and their struggles for it. Because like I said, I'm in a legal state, but it's hard to, when the federal government comes into it that and it trumps what you're trying to do, that's usually the biggest hassle. I'm fighting at the national level to get it off of the, the drug schedule so that the states can do the access that they need to do it right. Because that's really what the holdback is, because I think they're really just following the lead of our country. But with 36 states now having it legalized for medical and, and another you know dozen or more doing it for, for recreational, it's like we're running out of states. When do we have to get to the 50th state before that? And right. so that's always been my, my headache is another thing that's really upsetting me and, and where I've been gearing. So my mindset's a little different now because I think Things are getting a little more friendly for cannabis than when I made the film. But what I what really gets me now is I'm fighting more for expungement and the laws that people basically there's people that are in jail now for less pot than what a dispensary sells in a day or even an hour or even a freaking customer. And so my fight is leaning more towards that. There's a veteran that I've been advocating with and, and for who recently got released. His name is John Worsley. And it brings up the we're still steeped in the history of racism. And he was pulled over in Alabama and cited for just having medical cannabis in his car because they thought he was acting strangely. He's a legal medical card holder but he just happened to stop at a gas station on passing through the state, not even staying in the state. And the fight to get him released was, it was just incredible how backwards some of the, the, the smaller lawmakers are on the stigma. And because of that, and, and they're, they're tying it to, Oh, well, because you're black and you're smoking weed, you're, you're, that's a double wrong right there. So we're going to make your life hard. And they even, even they even have a veterans court and his lawyers were all trying to show that he met all the criteria for that and they refused to allow him to go to it but because of veteran advocacy groups like the ones I've been working with over the summer I think they made enough noise that this government was decided that in a small town really their mindset they, they think they realize that there's too much heat on us that this is just making us look stupider and we're spending more money now trying to fight for this and so they finally let him go. So I'm still trying to, Sean's wife, Ebony, now she's actually starting up a group to help other spouses of veterans who have been locked up for cannabis. She calls them cannabis POWs. So that's one avenue that we're looking at. And so my frustration, I actually mentioned it earlier too, was I reached out to some of these, we'll just call them name brand advocacy groups. Mm -hmm. 
and Hollywood individuals. I was looking for different influencers. And I even had somebody who knew them through professional channels uh, send out some, hey, check out Steve's film and things like that, help with the advocacy. No response, because I think just like big corporation and government, there's still a lot of people that are still in it for the money or themselves. And so we need to be aware of that. It seems like there's always a battle with cannabis. And you're right. I will say, though, the one thing that is a benefit is the younger generation is very active and they make a lot of social sense. And they also are a generation of kids that, and this is really guilting my generation in a little bit. They grew up with parents that were alcoholics Mm -hmm. and they also understand marijuana because it's a part of our culture, especially with our youth. And the same goes with pills. There's a lot of sensible people and and the younger generation is my goodness, they're active. Mm -hmm. So that is the one big shining star there. And then there's a lot of people in our generation that are starting to talk about it more. There has definitely been a stigma, but we are starting to speak about it more. Yeah. And one of the, the, the biggest things was I actually had the film. I got invited by the uh, the Cannabis Caucus. If you're not familiar with them, they're a group of politicians, the Senate and the House, and who are fighting, who are actually advocates for it. And they invited me to present unprescribed at the Capitol uh, Auditorium, which is like a 450 seat theater. That was the peak of the whole goal was to reach the government so I could talk to them. Here I was reaching out to this hundreds strong advocacy group of politicians and the like. And then COVID hit. And then that just made it really hard and everything. That made the fight even, I had to bring it even closer and I had to bring it home. And then that's why we had to revert to virtual you know, events and film festivals and the like. And then we did get picked up and now we are on Amazon. So we are making it happen and people are watching it. And, and so it, it's a tool is the way I designed it and the way when I have it distributed that I always include a clause that allows me to take it out to use for activism, whether it be a suicide prevention talk or a cannabis advocacy or any other veteran advocacy. It, it fits so many niches. And so that that's where the power of the film hits home. Yeah, I watched the film. It's very powerful. Suicide statistics in our veterans community are obviously still at a really high number. What do you think that we can do as a society to prevent this crisis and combat it? One of the things you can do is you can legalize cannabis at the federal level because all veterans are federal employees in their careers and they're bound by this stigma. And once we can get the federal government off their back, it's like getting a monkey off their back. We can get them off of all the other prescription drugs and other things that are leading them to suicide and really allow them to explore all the avenues of treatment and just stop, you know, whining and complaining about it's so bad, it's so bad. But then again, not allow us to test the efficacy of it. We'll let you test everything that's bad and wrong with it. Well, hell, there's so many people that can There's so many PTSD studies and other treatment studies that are just waiting to happen in the U.S. so that the FDA can treat our veterans with these things. That's where we need to end this. Once we get that off the plate, then we can open up the doors to all this better treatment. I think that one of this is just my opinion. 
backed by fact. <laughs> but I think right now we're at the lowest we've been as far as our legislature and our government period being that also they were veterans for a long time. It was the opposite. A majority of our government was veterans. And I think one of the biggest things that we lack in our government that the veterans bring to the table is the ability efficiently because in the military, you don't have that option, right? That's like DFAS is, I think, one of the biggest employers, you know, of the entire country or something like that. But it takes a lot of people, but they're extremely efficient. And so I think it's very difficult, especially for veterans and people attached to the military community to come into a government that runs so inefficiently because it, it just it doesn't make any sense at all. So again, that was just my opinion based off of fact. So tell us about this documentary process. What's that like? We want to know because we've also thought and tossed around the the idea of doing a book, but you went like all out documentary. What was that like? My background is in photography. I've always been behind the camera, mostly just for semi-pro and unpro. And the idea came to me because a couple of veterans had approached me about documenting a grow that they were trying to do in the Midwest, which was going to be a long shot. But the opportunity to actually make a film about veterans just really encouraged me. And I had attempted to make a documentary several years ago. And thanks to some of the veteran groups out there, they were able to solve the issue that I was talking about, which had to do with veteran benefits and things and sequestration and so forth. But that film never got made, but I still had some of the materials out there. And when they came forward and they asked me to make this film because they liked what they saw of that one, it was like really encouraging. And so we really broke it down to the weeds and getting the budget going and different things like that. And even though the deal fell through, it was enough ideas in my head that this could be a, 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 a preventative measure for veteran suicide. That's where it personal story came to me. I already, I like working on projects and being a project manager on, on, on things with a lot of different parts and pieces that got to fit together. And a lot of it is self-taught. And so I went into the, I went into the research of not only the medicine and the film that, and the things that I'm going to put into it, but also into the production of a, of a feature length film, because there was so much to tell. It wasn't enough that I could fit into a short. And so that and it's also a bucket list thing. I've always wanted to either write a novel or produce a feature film. So I was really excited the whole time about it. But it was really it was a great learning process. And I, I can admit that my one weakness is fundraising. And I really didn't push the envelope on on I, I did some efforts to to fundraise and things like that, but I decided that artists like filmmakers like myself, we aren't like business oriented and things like that. We right. just want to tell the story. We, right. it, it's so passionate. I'm like Fuck it. Every month I was like trying to find a new way of, of raising money. And it's like the only thing that took the film so long was just waiting for another paycheck so I could buy another airline ticket to fly out somewhere else in the United States to interview another veteran. Yeah. And so that was really exciting getting out there and actually sitting down with people firsthand and having these personal experiences and being a veteran, talking to other vets, I think is so much different. Like one of the veterans he he still keeps getting calls for interviews because he's a double purple heart and everything else. And it's not the same. It's like you get on ABC news or whatever. And, hey, tell us about this. And it's just a lot yeah. of head nodding and things, but they don't really get it. 
Yeah. But here, or they don't really show those vulnerable, intimate parts that you experience on a conversation like that. And so this was a personal project. And so I completed the film with every penny I had just because I needed to tell the story. And that's where we are today. It got out there. I hoped it could get a little bit wider, like I talked about being screened on the hill and then COVID hit. Guess what? A lot of other people got hit with COVID. I think I bring that up because it just brought me back to the reality that I still suffer from depression and anxiety and I hit bottom. And I know a lot of my veteran brothers are out there suffering the same feelings. And that's why it's nice to have Zoom, thank God, because we were having like virtual smoke sessions together. And it was nice that we could still bond. Yeah. And if it was legal, then we could just go ahead and we can put this out there on, on fucking Facebook and shit. Hey, we're having a public sesh or whatever. Join us. But we can't. That's why we need to keep fighting. I do appreciate that you brought that up because, you know, during COVID as a community, especially with us as caregivers, and we've talked about this and with veterans this past year, you know, there has been an increase in anxiety and heightened PTSD. And so I'm glad that you actually brought that up. Did you receive any pushback from the veterans community when you're making the film? Not in my journey to do that so much, but during my social media time, when I would, so I was already trying to build an audience before I even finished the film because I'm just an individual, not a studio. And so I started building my following slowly but surely. And early on, I was even still learning because again, I just got out of the military and I was like basically a cannabis virgin until a year ago. And so, well, prior to my military service, I was straight about that. So I knew what it could do and I knew what it was, but hadn't used it for 20 years. On social media, I was getting mostly positive feedback and things, Twitter and things like that, people leaving comments. But occasionally I would get somebody with some God awful truth. Like my brother smoked cannabis so much that he got paranoid and he killed himself. And that really hit home to me. And and I'm like, that's part of why we need to get the government and the stigma so we can actually study it. What in fact is happening without me even being a scientific or medical professional, so this isn't my advice, is just purely there's different strains. On the A and B, you've got sativa and you've got indica, right? One wakes you up and one puts you, helps you relax, okay? But one will also have such a high THC level, it is known to cause paranoia. And if you're using that on top of already having anxiety or suicidal ideations, it's going to wreck you. And that, but it's a medication and that's what you need to know. And that's why our doctors need to know because holy shit, no, he needs to actually get some CBD mixed with a little bit of, of cannabinoids of, of CBD and other things, but he doesn't need this high THC. What he really needs are the terpenes and there's certain terpenes that can do different things. And again, if we could just get down to that. And so I educated myself. And so I'm actually more knowledgeable than I ever have been. And it, it's amazing to to hear negative sides, but to have a positive answer, because I think a lot of our government just says, oh, you see, it's that. Or if they hear this, they oh, it's that. And it's not even just our government. It, it's still people in, in certain parts of society. and Just things. in society in general, for sure. Yeah. The stigma. Yeah. 
I know that we had a conversation, we had an interview with Dr. David Birdie from the Center for Neuroregenerative Medicine, the Department of Defense, and he talked about that's not a research that they are particularly focused on, and there's other people that are better at doing that research. I guess people with a, that don't have a .gov email address. So he suggested, maybe Libby, you can get somebody to come on the podcast to talk about cannabis. I'm like, oh, now we're doing a series, girls. <laughs> <laughs> now we're doing a series challenge accepted. I took it for sure because I think education is key to all of this and it's an understanding the issue and and what ways can we as a nation educate ourselves and continue to educate society really because it's constantly you're constantly fighting that stigma. Absolutely. And like I said, I think people are leaning to understand they're leaning towards positive side of cannabis and, and the latest polls, it's actually, I think, upwards of 75%. It's at least 60% of the country favors at least medical cannabis. And I think those that are favoring it recreationally are actually are doing a good thing. I, I, I think that's even as acceptable, like we said, about alcohol. I quit hard alcohol. And I just had no more craving for it. But I, I know after years and years of using it for, I got chronic insomnia and I couldn't go to sleep without it. Now I don't even, I don't even, I can't, I'm a lightweight. I can't even, I had a beer the other day and I almost passed out. So it's, I can totally see keeping that either one way or another. In fact, when I first started, I was working with Dr. Sisley and that was the best experience of my life was I learned from her. But she took me out and and set and took me to some conferences and things. And we were talking about all the, the, the tie-ins with, with cannabis Microdosing in the sativa strain is mm-hmm. beneficial for that for ADHD if you have ADHD mm-hmm. or if you want to. That's when my husband has the best times of concentration is if he has microdosed sativa. Excellent. He uses a vape and he, he uses every method available. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sticking to flour pretty much because I have a high tolerance. And I try to just limit what I can, but I, I did. I had a sativa today because I was having a pretty pretty busy day with work and everything. So like I said, I had back-to-back meetings with this and that. And I probably should have just said, well, can we start a little bit later? I, I've been putting off Libby for so long. I'm like, no, I got to do this. <laughs> I really wanted to do this with you. I guys. appreciate it. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, uh, st- sativa, it makes I feel very creative when I'm on that. Like yeah. I get Super creative vibe. Yeah, actually, that's important to talk about. And that's some of the education. That's what I experienced. And that's why I went back on the effects or because the sativa was working for the anxiety and I got off it. But after a certain point, once I wasn't smoking, my anxiety it was so bad. I was like super paranoid because I'm teleworking and I'm like, am I fucking forgetting to do an assignment? Am I do I? And it right. was at that and. Listen, Garrett, I, I had, I was working so much. I was, I, I'm working a full-time job. My kids are home from school. I'm trying to promote the film. I'm also an adjunct professor teaching communications for, for college, for university, and trying to do, trying to do a bunch of other hobbies around the house and getting household things done and everything. And I finally reached a peak yeah. and I realized that this, I was, but oh my God, the energy and everything else it gave me. And I was up at night. I would have to keep a notebook because I had and talking about the creativity. I had so many thoughts. That's what I and do. That's always what I came do. At night. I would be like writing yeah. all this stuff down. Yes. But I, I realized the sativa was causing me serious paranoia 
And, and that's why I want people to understand that. And being suicidal, I think it did push me to the edge with the, with just with the overwhelming, all the other things. It wasn't the, the drug that was doing it, but it was just amplifying everything I was experiencing. And so I want people to know that you need to understand your cannabis. You need to understand your strains. You need to understand the, the terpenes because there's even certain terpenes that will cause high anxiety. And there's others that will cancel it. And it's just amazing that they should write a book about it, but they need their scientific research because all of it's still just testimonials and things. Thank God for things like Leafly who keep track of these different things. Because that's the first thing I do is I look for a strain. I go on to Leafly and I look at the side effects as, and side effects are useless. It's always the same thing, yeah. dry eye and cotton mouth. But it, it's, it does tell you if it's going to excite you too much or if it's going to get you very creative or is it going to make you slumber? Because I use it for anxiety. I use it for pain and I use it for insomnia. And now my tolerance is so bad that the insomnia doesn't work anymore. So yeah. and you need to take a tolerance break. And then I learned about hemp-based CBD and I, I got some of that. And so one thing I do with the sativas is I cut it with CBD hemp and then it not only is it cutting it just because it's more flour, but it's also the CBD has a, a receptor blocker. And mm -hmm. so you don't get the same psychotropic effects as you would. And so you can actually relax and be joyful at the same time. My husband does. So he has traumatic brain injuries and then because he had a lot of blast concussions. And then also... It's got a lot of chronic pain, PTSD, all the, the norms that come along with combat injuries from combat, being a combat engineer. But one of the things he had are seizures that it was able to, it was phenomenal how he went from having multiple seizures a week to having, I think he had one over the last year. And he's pretty common, I would venture to say. We know a lot of people like him that are in the same boat. And then you also have the opioid crisis, which he faced as well. I think at, at his surge during active duty, he was given 450 pain pills a month. And that was from, from his doctor. And that was actually for the, that was the pain program. That was what they specifically had for addiction was 450 pills. So how do you believe cannabis can change patient outcomes. I know myself how I feel because of stories like his. I don't think that he would be alive today if it weren't for certain treatments, cannabis being one of those. But in your, what you've seen, what are the patient outcomes and how does it reduce addiction? I made the film at the height of the opioid crisis. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And that was one of the key focuses. And then you described all these different treatments. And so while you were discussing the seizures, that stood out to me most as the one thing that did actually catch the government's attention because they decided that they were going to synthesize it for a, a, a seizure treatment in children. I had a car accident before I joined the Air Force when I was 15 and I had a seizure from a traumatic brain injury. So I have a you know, scar across my head and the hole in, in my head still. And so I know how traumatic those can be and experiencing that and knowing that at least they've acknowledged that and, and doing it. But I don't think they should synthesize it. I think that's just big pharma looking for a money opportunity because they're, they're gouging people for the price. And it, it's a catch-22 where we want the government to be involved. Earlier, I, was, I had a thought and I think I lost it. And where I was trying to go was talking about 
not necessarily we were talking about either descheduling it or rescheduling it to at least a cat three but the the thing i was talking about when i talked about dr sisley is the fact that they would think it would be better if they actually took it off the schedule period if legalization for recreation became about then that would solve all the problems because now you don't have to worry about all the fda bullshit and all just the channels and channels, which I even show some graphs in the film about how long a process is just to get a drug approved. So it blows my mind on certain drugs that cost millions of dollars that they'll get pushed through really quick. But then other drugs that if they're not going to be profitable, that take forever. And Dr. Sisley talked about all She's the one that got all the pushback. When she was trying to make this film, it was literally pulling teeth. That's where I got the expression. It's one thing to get approval for a study for the damaging sides of cannabis. I think they call it the dangers or something. But to get something positive studied, they'll like virtually deny or drag out any approval for, for the process. And there's so many levels involved. We got the DEA and the FDA and, and so many other ones involved. And why should we be having a law enforcement agency telling us what we can study medicine? That was the big that was the big deal here when they were passing our legislation. Oklahoma has a really nice medical program because there are no qualifying conditions. And people were saying, What do you mean? And it was like, why do you want your legislator to be able to tell your doctor what they can prescribe your medicine for? That doesn't make any sense. Like they but they've they back themselves into a corner because of not making it by the way that they have it scheduled. And again, it's confusing to people like yourself who've been in, you've seen government move quickly because it was necessary. And there's like this huge stopgap. And at some point we have to recognize that people write the policy. Those same people can, it's not that hard to fit. I don't know. I just think that's priorities. The mighty dollar. Mm-hmm. Follow the dollars. Yeah. And so the next project I do, I, I, I commit myself to making sure I have a, a solid crew and a, and a large team so that we can make it happen. And so we can get our stories out in a more timely manner. Because this probably could have popped and really hit home if I had just released it just a couple months earlier. Could have been a world of difference. The main thing you can do right now is, is drive people to Amazon to check out the film there. You can rent it and buy it in digital SD or HD. I have DVDs available on my website too. And if anybody want a sneak peek, there's also a free site that you can sign up for a seven-day trial called Urban Flicks. There's a link to that as well. I've really enjoyed this conversation, but can I just tell you what I've really enjoyed even more is looking at the Pac-Man in the background. You got, what is that, a pinball machine right there that I see in the background? You got to talk about that. Two pinball machines, a Pac-Man machine back there. We got a, a Miss Pac-Man in the corner. We got uh, a centipede and another arcade machine there. I That's love centipede. I I centipede is the bomb. That is right? such a great game. Oh. Isn't it though? Yes. In fact, there was more female gamers back in the seventies, eighties playing centipede and Pac-Man than there was than there was guys playing them. So there's a positive statistic right there. Girl power. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> definitely definitely i i grew up in the atari phase okay Mm -hmm. did you remember that's another 
I got, so I got old computers, like old Atari 2600s and Commodore computers and Apples. And so I do a YouTube channel called That Geek Guy. So that's where I got some of my film practice. Before making the film, I was actually had these high-end cameras that shot HD and I was just using them to tool my skills. And then the film came out and I was like, boom, we got it. So I had a lot of the equipment already on hand. That's so, awesome. I was going to ask like how you figured out how to direct a whole film. Like how do you even do that? You go from photography to making a film. I had the perfect job in the air force. I was called an age mechanic, aerospace ground equipment. And we're really the jack of all trades because we're taught everything from diesel and jet engine mechanics to HVAC and heating and, and electrical work and mechanical and all these different things. So we're really a jack of all trades and that's where I am on my creativity level. So I've got some electromechanical skills in me as well as this, this technical geek from the old computer days. And so all these games you can see are all oldies from the 80s. So it's like everything I couldn't have as a kid, I can get now and I can fix them up and, and use my skills. So thanks for the government for that one. Thank you, government. Uncle Sam, yes, for the hookup. <laughs> So each week we like to leave our listeners with a word of advice from our guests. Could you leave our veterans and their caregivers with a word of advice? Talk to your doctor. Don't be afraid to talk about mental health. If you feel that you have any suicidal ideations or you feel that things just aren't the same. I know for me, just the transition from 20 years of the routine of what to wear and what to do and who to talk to and everything else. You're going to find yourself in a place like that when you get out. You're going to, it's a big open world. And if you feel lost, you need to find somebody who can guide you. And that could be your spouse, your family, your friends, or a mental health counselor. And don't forget to talk about cannabis as a possible treatment for that if you're using a handful of other drugs being prescribed by your doctor. This week, our scripture comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47, verse 12. Fruit trees will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And okay, so Ezekiel is a prophet. And I love that the Bible talks about science. It explains a lot. Actually, if you go a paragraph above and it talks about actually like whenever the water empties in from the stagnant, the stagnant waters, and when it empties into those waters, the city will become fresh. Like it really goes through and explains a lot. And as a member of the Christian community and also as a member of the cannabis community, it can be an interesting place to exist because there are so many different opinions. I will say that whether you have a opinion on it, or not. I think that it's important that we not lose our love for one another and that we not criticize one another for personal choices that other people make, especially when it comes to to do with their medicine. So as silly as it may seem to say that in 2021, we found it true in our own life. And a lot of times the criticism that we hear, like we've talked about, has to do with policy and it has to do with with government, I guess you would say. And I think it's important that we remember that our government is here to serve the people. And like you said, the majority of people don't see this as a problem. And even the people that are 
against it are usually fine with the medicinal side on it, but it's very difficult to get education correct out there. There is so many conflicting pieces of information and it's difficult because there are people who want accurate information and that poses a real problem. So I know I want to believe the best in everyone. I think it's always important that we do, but I think it's also a, a warning to those who maybe sit on both sides of the fence because we all know that there's people in the government that think it's perfectly fine, but they have a stigma against it because otherwise we wouldn't hear all of the jokes that we hear. You wouldn't hear the lazy stoner jokes or you wouldn't hear the munchies joke when really it's because your blood sugar is lowering. And maybe if people had the ability to understand that and listen, we could weed through some dialogue. So I'm sorry to get preaching there, guys, but we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. I dig that so much, Erin. And there is so much, which, you know, that's one thing that we haven't talked about, Steve. And I don't know if you've been aware of this or not, but I could talk about this for hours. But the juicing for all of the different healing properties of the plant, there's no psychoactivity, which is great for people who need THC. And it's been really good for people with autoimmune disorders. My husband uses Rick Simpson oil. And I'm amazed at how much that does for him. Like edibles are great. Oh my goodness. The patches are wonderful for him, especially whenever he has to travel to get on an airplane or something like that to be able to put a patch on because it's released over time. And it's not because, oh, he needs to smoke a joint and get high. No, that's not it. I, this is very easy for me to understand because I am an asthmatic. And not to get all talky talk, but I remember when I did a little smoky smoke in 1998 and I remember it was, I'm asthmatic and it was the, one of the first times in my life I could take a super deep breath. And I thought, I really want to tell somebody about this, but I'm going to also have to tell them I smoked marijuana and that's not going to fly. But lo and behold, it's an anti-inflammatory and it actually has been a medication for asthmatics up until it was removed from our government because of like you've discussed racial bias and so it but it works by actually preventing inflammation and it's longer lasting than things like albuterol however it doesn't have as fast of a relief. So you're not, but that's Eastern world's medicine, but it's not all convoluted. So sorry, guys, I could go on for days. Libby's going to have to cut me off. Actually, I'm going to jump on what you said with that scripture. At the beginning of my film, I start out with Genesis 129, then God gave us every fruit bearing plant. And so that was really important in that this is a natural product. And this is here for a reason. It's been used for healing since ancient history, as far back as we can find literature. And so it's interesting that you mentioned about the asthma. I couldn't run an Air Force PT test except for to get the minimum each year, just because, well, I was in the Air Force. We didn't have mandatory PT. But <laughs> my point is I'm 50 years old and I've been using a new expression, Fit F50, because I've only been smoking cannabis for a year and a half now, maybe two years. And I've lost so much weight and I've been in the best health and the best shape that I've been since I was in my early 20s. And I can outrun the Air Force fitness test twice the speed that I can. In fact, I'm running an average of three miles every day, if not three to five to six. 
And it's because cannabis, the, the daytime, the, the sativas were helping with the energy. I don't need those anymore because now I've got my lung capacity up and I can run. And so it's funny that you mentioned, yeah, smoke for asthma because it's not full of tars and nicotines and, and right. other chemicals added by man. It, it's just the, the, the plants that are in there. In fact, I've even considered maybe even adding clove oil to help numify some of the inhalation if you have a hard problem breathing. But I don't know what the side effects are on the oil. So you have to be you careful. can use a transdermal as well. Actually, the same oils that go into for pain cream mm-hmm. are very beneficial for asthmatic as well. If you notice, a lot of it's the same types that things like Vicks try to replicate. But if you use that transdermal pain cream on your lung area, you You would be surprised. Yeah. And you can even mix it. If you're an essential oils person, you can even mix it with essential oils, the RC from Young Living. And it's really good for asthma. too. You you mentioned the Ron Simpson oil, which is just an amazing multi-purpose tool. It, mm-hmm. it, people who don't know what RSO, it's also full spectrum cannabis extract. I think it's a FICO. Some people call it. And it just depends on how you make it. But it, Ron Simpson used it for cancer. He just he had cancer. And he said, what the fuck? I'm just going to make this stuff and I'm going to dab it on. I'm going to rub it in. And it took away the. Uh, the uh, yeah, he had skin cancer. And before that, he actually healed his traumatic brain injury. He had a traumatic brain injury before right. he had. He has such a cool story. He was a doctor in mm-hmm. Canada. And he wanted to study on himself, but the Canadian government was like, no, sorry, Bob. And so he just went rogue and And did his own thing. Kind of like, like, yeah, yeah, I told you so. (laughs) Taking the power back from the people of Canada. And then he like went all over and told everybody what he did and became super famous. But it's, it's great. And he gave out the recipe, like was like total hippie about it too. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to Behind the Surface Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, we leave us a review. It helps more people like you find this podcast. And remember, subscribe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you. Dude, so good. Thanks for having me. And thanks for your persistence, Livian. Hey, that is my middle name is persistent. I don't know if you've heard that about me or not, but I am super persistent.